Welcome to this week's episode of the Baseball Together podcast. I'm Blackjack Brad, and I'm flying solo for news this week. And then we have an interview with ESPN's Hembo right now. Nine Plus Us presents the Baseball Together podcast with your hosts, Blackjack Brad and Kansas City Little Big Briggy Blue Eyes. And now, Baseball Together. Welcome, baseball family, to this week's episode of the Baseball Together Podcast. My name is Brad, and uh, I'm actually flying solo this week. Brig is not here. He has family in town, so he's hanging out with them. And I will be here uh, guiding you through this week's current events. And then, like I said before at the beginning, we actually have an interview with Hembo from ESPN. Uh, very exciting. It was, very, it was a lot of fun. We had a ton of fun with talking baseball with him. So we'll get to that in a few minutes. Before that, though, what we need to do is we need to talk about a few transactions that we saw over the last couple of days. That, uh, the most notable, I would say, uh, given the magnitude of the player. So first things first, Gary Sanchez, the Kraken. For those of you who may have lost track of Gary Sanchez, he started the year on a minor league deal with the Giants. And because he didn't make it to the bigs by May 1st, he asked to be released from the contract. They obliged. He became a free agent. And then he signed with the New York Mets on May 9th. Was not a free agent for long. Again, a minor league deal with the Mets as well. The Mets called him up this weekend. They brought him up to play. Not bad. He played it. He got into two games. He had four plate appearances. Uh, he went one for three. A couple strikeouts and a single. Um, but he got an RBI. So he got in there and he did his job. Right? I don't know... If this is about wanting to bring in a player who can inject some offense into that, what has been relatively offensive or offensively anemic lineup, or if they think Gary Sanchez is the answer, I don't know. I don't know. Um, a lot of teams have not felt like he was the answer. Uh, I'd say 29 others to be exact to this point. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We'll see what happens, but so far, not a bad weekend, um, for him and the Mets were able to squeak out a couple of wins, a few wins against the guardians, which honestly, oh, it's tough because it could be the Mets playing a struggling AL central team and just doing what they're supposed to do. Or they could be pulling out of whatever funk or stink that they've been in. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander had great days on Sunday. They they pitched in the in the doubleheader. Both of them did, and they both did great. So that could be the thing they've been waiting for up to this point. So I don't know. Keep an eye on the Mets. I think we've all been we've all been keeping an eye on the Mets to see what's going on there. So we'll see how it goes. Next guy up in the opposite direction. Eric Hosmer was designated for assignment by the Cubs. Um, he was two for 14 in, a lot, in his last five games with the Cubs. Uh, he played, he appeared in 31 games this year and he slashed 234, 280, 330. That is batting average on base and slugging for those of you who don't know. Um, with that included three doubles, two home runs, 12 RBIs and 25 strikeouts. I'm not worried at all about Eric Hosmer. He'll land somewhere. Uh, somebody needs a DH who's batting 234. I mean, the Royals at one point we saw everybody in their starting lineup was hitting under 200. In Seattle right now, to be completely honest with you, I would take Eric Hosmer as my DH because there is no everyday solution to DH. There's certainly not anybody hitting 234. It's certainly not anybody with, eh, we got a couple guys with some home runs, but I'd take two home runs and 12 RBIs at DH right now in Seattle if that's what's playing every day. And I think that might just be what he needs. Is I feel like he has not gotten solid reps since he got traded from uh, from San Diego to Boston last year. 
And and I think that's he's a guy who needs that. He needs to get out there and get his game time reps to to really get back to his form. And you know, he's 33. Maybe he's washed. I don't know, but we'll find out. We'll see where he goes. I think he'll land somewhere. Somebody's going to give him another chance. Okay. Um, I came up with a new game today as I was getting all this together. Um, it's called That's Baseball Susan, for those of you who aren't aware. Uh, Susan Waldman does the color commentary for John Sterling with the New York Yankee broadcast. Uh, for the, If you're new here, I am not a Yankee fan. I'm actually not even really a Diamondbacks fan despite wearing a Diamondbacks shirt today. Um, I'm a Mariners fan, but Brig, or my co-host, is the Yankee fan. And so every once in a while, because of him, I'll listen to Yankee games. I'll listen to John Sterling and Susan Wall. But one of my favorite things that he says to Susan when something strange happens is that's baseball, Susan. And ain't that the truth? Isn't that baseball? That's baseball, Susan. So here we go. We're going to play some that's baseball, Susan. First things first, Kevin Gossman, the guy up here, he's pointing at me. I'm not sure why I'm not the problem. Oh, I know. He's pointing at this guy, Domingo Herman, for the Yankees. Blue Jays pitcher Kevin Gossman says the Yankees owe them three innings, and that is a direct quote, because Domingo Herman pitched three innings of sticky stuff on his hands. Okay, I'm sure he's speaking in hyperbole, but I'm sorry, but that's not how that works. Um, You don't get to say things like that because you sound like an idiot. That's baseball season. Um, I mean, if, if you want to go back and do those three innings, where does it stop? How do we stop this? Like, how? at what point? I know there were people calling for the Astros and the Red Sox to vacate their titles and give them back and give them give them to the Dodgers, right? Because the Dodgers were the runners up those years. Uh, give the give the trophy to the Dodgers. I'm sorry, that's not how that works either. Those are just if that was the case, those would just be years that they wouldn't have they wouldn't have a, a champion, right? Like that's how that works, and this is the way this works too: is that the Blue Jays had to deal with. The Blue Jays had to deal with Domingo Herman cheating before the umpires caught him. Guy's been cheating for years before they get caught. That, that's baseball season. So I don't know. I I think it's a dumb comment by Gosman for him to say that because nobody owes you three innings. Nobody owes you three innings. Your team is not playing good baseball right now. You know what you owe? Who you owe what? Is you owe your fans better baseball because the Blue Jays are better than what they've been right now. You cannot, you cannot play the type of baseball they've been. And John Schneider going out there and not knowing the situation with his pitcher, having to take Alec Manoa early because it's his second mound visit of the inning, he's got to know. And if he doesn't know, somebody on his coaching staff has to know. Somebody's got to grab him by the back of the jersey and be like, no, you get back down here because he's not ready to come out. If you go out there, he's got to come out. I don't know. There's all kinds of dysfunction going on in Toronto right now, and it's odd. It's really odd, despite them being a winning team right now. It's it's an odd place. So anyway, that's baseball season. Um, let's get in and talk about Max Muncy. Okay, third base, Dodgers third baseman Max Muncy says that he believes that Cardinals catchers Wilson Contreras and Andrew Kisner were bullying quote bullying the umpires over the weekend into making favorable calls for the Dodgers or for the for the Cardinals. What? Bullying the umpire? Uh, All right, let's look a little bit more into this. This is what he said to uh, Bill Plunkett of the Orange County Register. He said, he called it a ball, and for the catcher to sit there and tell him that's a terrible call, and he missed it, it needs to be better, and then the next one he gives him, gives it, and then the next one he gives it to him, that to me is where the frustration was coming from. I felt like that was happening all weekend long. Now, a little bit more context to this. Muncie was ejected in the fourth inning of Sunday's game. 
Um, and uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of frustration with that. I'm, you know, like, like he said, he felt like the umpires were giving favorable calls to the Cardinals because, because the catchers were bullying the umpires. No, no, that's baseball, Susan. I'm sorry. Like, that's just how it works. That's called working an umpire. And the fact that he felt like Wilson Contreras and Andrew Kisner were doing that, but then Will Smith and Austin Barnes were not. Like, tell your catcher, like, hey, they're talking to the umpire back there, letting him know what, what he's missing. Like, you should be doing the same thing. Because those guys weren't getting tossed for arguing balls and strikes, which you think maybe would happen because that's what happened to Muncie. Muncie got tossed for arguing balls and strikes, which happens all the time. But I think... A lot of this comes with frustration that the Dodgers have not performed to the level that they have wanted to. Um, but at the same time, you can't be making excuses like this. Oh, the umpires are giving favorable calls. No, no, no. That's not how that works. Um, the Dodgers were outscored by the Cardinals 32-23 to 23 this weekend in four-game series. And the Cardinals won uh, game one 16-8. was ugly. So, I don't know. You can blame the umpires if you want, Max Muncy, but that's baseball, Susan. That is the way it goes. Okay, we had a couple of City Connect jerseys released over the last week. Let's start with the Reds first. Let's make this bigger so you can see it a little bit better. There we go. Okay, so the thing that stands out first off is the Cincy across the chest, right? I think that looks good. It looks really cool. It's a black on black with a white or I think that's a white. Ah, it looks kind of gray there anyway with a gray and a red outline. Gray on the top, red on the bottom. One of the things they said with the release of this jersey was that uh, the Reds really loved Cincinnati, really loved the Cincy because it shortens, obviously shortens the city, and they think it's cool. They think it's a cool abbreviation for the city name. They think it looks awesome, and they really wanted to embrace the fact that they're black and red. They're not black and blue. Like a, half the league, right? Half the league is black, or uh, not black and blue, is red and blue. Half the league is red and blue. They're red and black. It's different. It's unique. And the red pops against the black embraces. They decided to. Another thing here is you'll notice the C, which has a bunch of squiggly lines on it. It's mod. It's a modernized version of what they call the wishbone C that they've been using for a million years in Cincinnati. Um, I like that new version of the Cincinnati C. I think it looks really cool. It's really, really great. And the picture here that I have of Jonathan India, um, the hat looks great. The all black hat with the with that modernized Cincinnati logo on there looks great. I love it. In fact, I saw this and I was like, this is my next hat. Absolutely. Until I saw him on the field. Okay. In pictures, yeah, outstanding. I love the black. The red pops against it, but man, too much black on one uniform on the field. Uh <laughs> The stripe down the side is too thick on the red. Uh, I don't love the stripe on the hat that's supposed to be like a faux rope. I don't like the rope across the crown of a hat. There were like the bill and the or the visor and the crown meet. I don't like that. Um, and I don't like that they went faux rope on it as well. I just I don't like the look of it. If it had just been all black, then yeah, I would have loved it. And I, I legitimately would have bought this hat, but I do not like that look. So I kind of went backwards here before I've seen stuff and at release and be like, ah, no, I don't like it. And then love it on the field. I don't love this on the field. It's because uh, from a distance, it just looks like it's a black jersey, black pants, and like red on the cuff and red down the side. That's like it. 
It doesn't pop. I don't think it pops as much on the field as it does in the up close photos. They should have made things a little bit bigger. The other one we had, this actually came out Monday. This is the Baltimore Orioles and the um and their city connects and the and their city connects. Uh I like these more than I thought because we had we did have a leak come out um last week, I think it was where we saw these and it was like, oh, really underwhelming. It's just like a lot of black with the white, with the plain white lettering and then the white lettering on the hat. But then they have on the cuff of the sleeve, they have that color, the, the just a flash of a ton of color there. You can see it. It's on up near the collar of uh, Cedric Mullins' jersey there. You can see that it's on the inside. It's going to pop there. And then on the socks at the top, they've also got like a band of the color. I think that's really cool, that flash of color really pops against the black. And this is one of the things that they talk about. Um, they said that the, all that color represents the neighborhoods in Baltimore, which I think is a really cool, a really cool nod to that. So the, the pattern is a, re, is a representation of the neighborhoods that shape our city. The grayscale exterior represents the surface level people have of Baltimore surface level view. People have a Baltimore look deeper and you'll find the colorful interior that highlights the vibrance of the city. I think that's really cool. Uh, that on the like they said on the surface it looks pretty ba- looks pretty bland because it did. But then you look look closer and you're going to pop a color. And this is one thing is like I, we've talked a little bit about it this year about how it seems like they're making these city connects for the fans, like specifically for the fans to wear. And these, if they have that color on the inside, all that all that flashy color on the inside then these are going to get worn inside out a lot. And I'm here for it. I'm absolutely here for it. It's going to look really cool. You're going to see fans in the stands wearing these inside out and it'll be awesome. It'll look great. Um, the other thing is that B on the hat, it's a script, a script B it says it's pulled from the Baltimore script logo on our road jerseys. The B represents the love we have for our city. Um, obviously that's Baltimore. Uh, I think it looks good. I like it more than I thought I would upon the initial leak um, last week. Um, but I don't know. I think it looks. I think it looks good. I think it'll. We'll see how it looks on the field. Like I said, with with the Reds, it was just too much black all at once that it washed out. It wiped out the colors, and so it made it hard to see. But this there's there's like really bright colors, so that we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it looks on the field. All right, let's uh, let's finish things off here with our weekly fantasy baseball update. As you can see, there's Frederick Freeman. He was this week's high scorer. Congratulations, Freddie Freeman, for being the Baseball Together Podcast Fantasy League high scorer. Let's start with uh, he plays for Denise has him Grace under fire. So Grace under fire. So we'll start at the bottom. Uh, that was, like I said, Denise, Grace Under Fire against Mike, our listener participant, Devastation Incorporated. Mike ended up actually winning that one, 617 to 570. Denise was saying that she was decimated by East Coast games this weekend. Uh, just really had a hard time with, with those. So anyway, uh, Mike won that one, that matchup. Then we have Big League Chupacabras. That's Jewel. He is my co-host on the Seattle podcast. Uh, he played went up against Harrisburg Charlies. That's John. Uh, Jewel had uh, won that one 482 to 299 his leading scorer was uh was dominic smith and uh john's leading score sorry dominic smith had 84 k bear ruiz was uh was john's leading scorer 
uh, with 47 points. Let's go on up to Brigger Mortis. That's Briggs' team against Jason. He's one of the hosts of the um, of the Philly podcast. Uh, he is not another fantasy team. Uh, Jason won this one 561 to 441. Jason's high score is Adley Rutschman with 71 points, and Briggs' high score is Francisco Lindor with 55. And then the last matchup was me, Julio Think You Are, against Tori, one of the hosts of the Philly podcast. He was Burns Turner, he's Burns Turner Overdrive. Uh, his high score was Marcus Simeon with 51 points, and mine was JT Realmuto with 69 points. Nice. I got my second win, so I'm two and five. Tori is now one and six. Brig is four and three. Jason five and two. Jewel is leading everybody six six and one. John is one and six. Mike is five and two. And Denise is four and three. Um, like I said, I think I don't think I mentioned their high scores. Uh, uh, Denise's was Freddie Freeman, and Mike's was Matt Olson. Denise would have beat everybody this week. She'd have beat everybody if she hadn't gone up against Mike. Mike was a high scorer. Denise was second. So. <laughs> Just the way it goes, I guess. Uh, but baseball family, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we will run our interview with ESPN's Hembo. Welcome, baseball family, to another one of our fantastic interviews. We have a very special guest today with us, Paul Hembakitis, or you also know him as Hembo. You probably heard him on ESPN. Uh, welcome, Paul. How you doing? Or Hembo. Sorry. How you doing today? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Refer to me using my corporate nickname for the rest of the interview forthwith. I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you guys and talk some baseball. This has been a, this book's been uh, you know crazy. Like this book that we're promoting has been like the 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 interest in it, the opinions that it has uh, created, the debate that it has engendered, the whole nine yards. I'm looking forward to to dabbling in that a little bit, but also talking some baseball because I think this is poised to be one of the best seasons we've had at least in recent memory. Agree. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Okay. Let's get into it real quick. First, we're going to start with a rundown. That's what we do with all of our guests. Our first question for you, Hembo, what is your quest? My quest. I can define that however I'd like. However you like. Fantastic. Um, uh, my quest is to, to realize my dreams by doing what you guys are doing. I I would love to talk about baseball for a living. If you ask me like what my dream job might be 10 years from now, it would be that some person was stupid or silly enough to pay me money to talk about baseball and nothing else. So that would be, that would be my quest. Obviously there are, uh, greater things, larger things in life. I have two kids, like two, my my wife and I had baby girls, like literally two people, uh, (laughs) twins last (laughs) August. So there are other things in life, obviously that are more important than baseball, but very few. So my my quest, at least from a career standpoint, would be, would be to be paid money to talk about baseball and nothing aside from baseball. Yeah, we can relate to that. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) My next question for you, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. Um, It always has been. I don't exactly know why. I've always been attracted to blue. Something like the color of blue that you're wearing on your hat right now, like a darker, a darker shade, navy shade kind of blue. Um, Although I'm thinking through all my Philly, I'm a Philly guy, so I'm thinking through all my Philly teams. And there's a little splash of blue with the Sixers, but that's about it. So uh, I haven't been, I haven't been defiled too much by my Philly brethren. (laughs) Dark blue. And that's my final answer. All right. Nice. So the Phillies then is your favorite team. Is that correct? correct yeah, I've been rooting for the Phillies passionately since something like 2000. I was born in Baltimore. So I was like, I came to age as a fan of the Orioles and Cal Ripken, but my family moved there early enough in life to where I eventually switched my allegiance to the Phillies. And that was actually a pretty good time to do that. As it turns out. That's awesome. Yeah, it would be. So if the Phillies were a beverage, what would they be? Um, the Phillies were a beverage. What would it be? Uh, Man, it's an interesting question. Not one that I would—I've uh, obviously thought of uh, before. How about like a like a like a pineapple or mango high noon or white claw? So like like I want I want to be able to consume it. It's refreshing. 
All right. It makes me feel great about myself. It makes me feel great about the day. And I can consume it every single day if I really want to. Probably not smart to watch the Phillies play <laughs> times a year. But that's going to be my answer to this question. Like a, a, a flavor of like a sparkling or like a uh, spiked seltzer that I favor. And I would say if, I, if you want to do it 162 times a year, you could. But it's not going to be so great for your health. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> I used to do that. <laughs> That's part of my story. But anyway, <laughs> Hembo, if baseball were an ice cream flavor, what would it be? Man, so um, baseball last year uh, would have been vanilla because baseball last year had so little flavor. Um, baseball now is sherbet because what we've got, what we've done in, in the game, is inject so much more athleticism, so much more pace, so much more tempo, so much more action, so much more stuff. And baseball is fundamentally better because of it. I can like vanilla and sherbet both. I happen to like both. Um, but I think the sherbet in this case applies to a, a larger swath of audience, uh, a larger portion of the fan base. And I'm the kind of fan that would watch no matter what. But I'm not I, I'm not the person for whom the, these rules apply. So I think right. what baseball is doing is great. And I, as a result, I'm watching a lot more baseball, like a lot of people, and eating a lot more sherbet, as it were. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we actually it. have that question about what baseball needs. Okay. Do you think these are good changes? That's one of the first questions we were going to ask. Awesome. Do you mean to dive into it right now? Yeah, yeah go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah, absolutely. So I am – I'm like a traditional older school fan. Like I'm a huge baseball history guy. I am a big fan of the unwritten rules, baseball's tradition, all these things that you know have kind of been embedded in me as a fan and as a player from, from the time I was a very, uh, a very young fan. And so for the longest time, I think baseball's – Timelessness, shall we say, was a feature, right? It was like this one sport that had that. Now I think it's become a bug. And over the course of time, the players and the umpires abused the fact that they, were, that they weren't on a timer. And we got used to this sort of never-ending slog. And that turned off a lot of people, and rightfully so. This was a time in which society was speeding up. We became obsessed with football. And baseball was slowing down. Like, we were going in opposite directions. I think what the pitch clock has done, by the way, you haven't, you're not losing any baseball. You're losing... 30 minutes right. of literally nothing. But totally. what the pitch clock has done is not only given you half an hour of your life back, but much more importantly, it has improved baseball's pace of play. And so a lot more stuff happens in a more condensed period of time. That ultimately, I think, is the best thing for the game. And so I understand if you're a baseball traditionalist, you might not find yourself in favor of some of the new uh, rules and rules changes. I would challenge yourself, though, over the course of time, over the course of this season, I think that you'll find that you find yourself looking at your phone a lot less between pitches. I think you'll find yourself intrigued and excited by the, the additional stolen, stolen bases and some more base hits available for left-handed hitters and all the things that come as a result of this. And that's why I was so confident that they were going to work because they workshopped these things in the minor league for the last two, uh, few years. And we know for sure that they work because they tried it. That's the whole point of the minor league. I think they've gotten this thing mostly right. Right. Yeah. We've talked about that in a text thread. It was a couple of our, with a couple of our buddies that like Brig used to like read during baseball games between pitches, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you can't do that anymore. Like <laughs> keep the book away, keep the phone away and actually watch the game now. And that was one thing that I talked about with the pitch clock as well Is it's like the play clock in football. You know, when the play is going to happen, like you've got a maximum of 40 seconds between plays and now you've got a maximum of 15 seconds between pitches, 20 if there's somebody on base, but uh -huh. five seconds, who cares, right? Yeah, right. I mean, honestly, to me, like the game, this is not a progressive like step forward. Like I don't view this as mm -hmm. being like a woke decision by baseball, for lack of a better term. I view this as right. being like baseball being played at the speed in which it was intended to, right? If you watch a, if you watch baseball, a baseball game at its zenith, when it was at, at its most popular, it looks something like what it does now. 
-hmm. you know, like in terms of the speed, in terms of the tempo, in terms of the rhythm. Now, we're never going to get the starting pitcher throwing a complete game every fifth day. We're never going to get – we're not going to get the stolen bases like we saw in the 80s. Like those kinds of things aren't likely to happen. But if if the game is being played at the right speed, then we can deal with more strikeouts and more walks and the preponderance of home runs and things of that nature. Like it's important – like you're not going to change that kind of stuff about baseball right now because pitchers are so great, right? And like we're talking about like the most – this is the zenith of pitching, and so what we're going to do – like this is yeah. – you know, th- these rules are in part, you know, made hoping to curtail the fact that pitchers are so incredibly good now. But now if you yeah. let someone on base, you're not going to let get, off, uh, get let off the hook quite as easily. Now if you get yourself into a into, into a problem in, in, in the fifth inning, you can't slow down to a crawl. You have to keep pitching. We're going to see a lot of those beginnings exacerbated. And so I'm a fan, man. Like I really am, and I think the, the pitch clock ultimately is going to wind up sort of blending in the background. It's going to become – it's not going to be top of mind anymore. And you're going to wonder yourself, why weren't we playing this fast for all these years, right? When Bitman World Series okay. games were ending at midnight, for God's sakes. Um, that time is coming. Yeah. yeah. But I think part of it Are too you... is that there's always been the time. It's just that now it's being enforced. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Bring sure. your heads up the Absolutely. Point. Are you over the long ball, Hembo? Is that, did I catch wind of that maybe? So I, I don't want to go that, get off my lawny. I, I do think that baseball <laughs> at its best includes as many balls in play as possible. The problem is hitters are forced to make a trade-off now because pitchers pitchers are so good, um, because bullpens are so good, because velocity is so high that until you get to two strikes, you're really forced to swing uh, from your heels if you have home run power. Like the the possibility of being able to string together three consecutive hits in an inning to produce one run is so much harder now because pitchers are throwing so much harder and it's so much more difficult. Like for a even a punch and Judy hitter now, you're going to strike out at least once every other game. Whereas previously that would have been on like that would have been a lot of strikeouts. And Tony so, Gwynn doesn't I, exist anymore. Correct. If Tony Gwynn was right. playing right now, Tony Gwynn w- either wouldn't produce the value he did then, or he would strike out twice as much. That's that's just how yeah. baseball is, you know. And if Tony Gwynn faced literally anyone in the Twins bullpen, for example, it would be uh, every one of those guys would be throwing way harder than they were throwing in the mid '90s when he was at his apex, right? That's just that's just the fact of the matter. Like we can, right. like we know that pitchers and we know that athletes in general are better now than they ever were before because we know in Olympic sports they break all the records every year, pretty much. Like there are very few pretty enduring much. records, right? Baseball is no different right now. Pitchers are just ahead of um, position players. I understand the reflex to try and uh, try and homer. My do, my hope, and so far what the numbers say is that left-handed hitters are making a concerted effort not to launch the ball as much, and especially with two strikes. So my hope is that we continue to see that kind of progress made because if baseball can inject more batted balls and more base runners into the sport, that's going to be a fundamentally good thing for everyone who enjoys it like we do. Yeah. So we're, I have a quick question about athleticism in the long ball. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we're we're super into the bunt. But I have a quick question for you about athleticism. Like this is a hill that I'm probably going to end up dying on. Mm. But I feel like Babe Ruth wouldn't be able to compete in today's game. Do um, you feel the same way? Or yes, would he of is he transcendent? No, no, he if Babe Ruth was plugged into a lineup today, like he would have no idea what to do with Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani's sweeper or Jaron Johan uh, Duran's slider or Hunter Green's that fastball, right? slider, like, yeah, any yeah. of those. Like, right. yeah. Babe Ruth was playing baseball at a time in which no one could do anything like they could now, right? Like the, the pitching that he saw, like this eighty mile per hour slop, would, would make us laugh today. Like, the, you know, the three of us might hit three hundred in, in a lineup in nineteen twenty, but right. that's not really, that's not really material. And I'll tell you why: a person, a player, can only be content compared to their contemporaries, right? And so mm-hmm. the exact same, same thing that you just said about Babe Ruth. You could say about Aaron Judge 100 years from now, and it could still apply. That's categorically unfair. We are all products of our environment. The only way to compare players is in relation to their peers, in relation to their contemporaries. So I'm not going to penalize Babe Ruth, 
for the fact that he didn't, he never saw a 100 mile an hour fastball or the fact that he only, that he primarily played against white players or anything of that kind, because Babe Ruth was born when he was born. And so right. that's the lot, that was his lot in life. And he happened to just so incredibly exceed uh, everyone at that time. And he should be considered the GOAT for that. And so I, yes, I do agree with you. I just think it's the wrong question to ask. Okay. I, I can appreciate so that. So is the right yeah. question to ask then, how do we, how do we reconcile baseball's obsession with its own history in the contemporary view of statistics and records being broken and things like that? It's a great question. Um, this is, this is sort of a, um, a passion point of mine because it's uh, without, without context, 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 neutral statistics are mostly worthless. Now, obviously we have ways to be able to measure players across eras, regardless of what you think of wins above replacement war is merely one tool. You can, we can debate to what blue in the face, how valuable it is. I like ERA plus and OPS plus from baseball reference because they neutralize for the ballpark in which you play and the scoring environment at the time, but comparing the players raw stats, you know, like, like comparing Babe Ruth's raw stats to Aaron judges raw stats is, is, is apples and bananas. Like this, it's not like for like, I think it's important that we can both appreciate the history of baseball and the numbers that players produced without, without at the same time understanding like how hard it was to hit then and how hard it was to hit now. The reason I thought Aaron Judge's season last year was so unbelievable is because of the number of different pitches he had to face and the quality of stuff that he had to face, right? And the fact that he's mm-hmm. playing in a much more difficult hitter's environment than Babe Ruth or, or for all, for uh, in all candor, most hitters ever were, uh, right. aside from maybe like the late, mid to late sixties. And so, we have the tools now that can do that for us properly. So that's, that's like I said, you can only be compared to your contemporaries, but now luckily we have tools uh, for which you can be compared across eras to people from a variety of spectrums or timeframes or ballparks or anything of that nature. Uh, unfortunately, that's not quite come to fruition with the Negro leagues. My hope is that as they turn over more and more box scores and we get collect more and more information, we can finally reach a place where I can actually compare Josh Gibson to, uh, to Babe Ruth properly. We're not quite there yet. I hope that we are someday. Yeah. yeah, that'd be that'd be a great way to go. So we only have a couple minutes left. Let's talk about the book just a little bit. I'm curious, what was your process? So Granny told us that like you were like heading up the research for this thing, that you did all the legwork for the research space. We told us. <laughs> I'm curious what your process was with that, because that is a lot of information to gather. Like that is dense with information. Yeah, yeah. Dense is actually the best word I think to describe the book. Now that you say it, like I really because I mean, like you finish each each of the 100 chapters and. Like he, he describes them as snackable. I, I think you're getting a meal out of every chapter. We're not we're not heavy on words, but we're heavy on content, right? On volume yeah, in that yeah. respect. And so, honestly, like it began as something of a science and ended up as something of an art. Um, you obviously start in a place in which you just scour the globe to make sure that you have excuse me you have every person that ever wore a certain number that might can you know be considered for this, um, and you create a massive Google Doc in my case and you plug them in. Um, but we also wanted to include teams and commentators and coaches and race car drivers and horses and individual athletes, obviously, to be able to represent more than a century of sporting life, right? Like, to do this project properly, we had to transcend just who is the best player to wear number X. In fact, of our 100 chapters in our book, only 56 of them are jersey numbers, believe it or not. So that's a huge portion of the book. That's records and that's years. That's rivalries, right? So um, it took a long time. It took, I would say, probably six months for me to be able to compile all that stuff. And I spent probably at least at one point or another, <laughs> almost every day, opening up that document to make sure that I left no stone unturned. But it was my belief that we should really create like the book of record here, like the for lack of a better term. And in order to do that, you can't miss stuff. You can't exclude sports. You can't you can't short shrift your research. And so I took a lot of pride in both compiling that list. And then once we came to our 100 choices, making sure that 
those players in most cases were as as well represented with statistics and information as as could possibly be. And from that standpoint, I'm exceedingly proud because I think this is as good a like history primer that you'll find on most all of these people, short of reading their own biographies. But that's obviously uh, I was going to read a hundred biographies <laughs> in order to prepare this book. But I think that you'll come away illuminated by something, even if you know everything in the world about, say, Willie Mays, who, spoiler alert, uh, occupies chapter 24 in our book. I'd like to think that if you know everything in the world about Willie Mays, you'll still come away from reading this and say, that's one thing I did not know about Willie Mays, and so I'm better off for it. Yeah. Have you ever thought about putting together a pocket edition that somebody could take with them to the bar? Be like, okay, let's start the debate. Let's start the debate. We've got a, a, idea. a definitive like a, list. New Testament, like a gospel tract. Yeah. Yeah. Gospel tract. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is a compliment or not. Cause like, obviously I don't know that you can see that like, here, the size of the thing you, you guys, you yeah. guys just held it up. The compliment that I received, I guess it's a compliment from a friend of mine. He's like, this is the perfect bathroom book because each of these chapters are perfectly in, in line with how long I usually take in the bathroom. And it's like, yeah. I don't exactly know if I should be saying that on the radio on shows but like <laughs> thanks alex i appreciate the, the the two cents like that's just one piece of feedback like i like bringing this in the bathroom me you know what i guess coming from a guy that is a compliment yeah it is it, it is. Really is i had a website that was based on that preference that like yeah. that whole premise <laughs> like it was called stitched thrones light baseball reading for your time on the porcelain throne that's that was the premise for the entire thing i stole your so, idea we built a book yeah, i think it works <laughs> yeah. i've been wanting to write a bathroom reader ever since and there it is that's the one you guys already wrote it <laughs> yeah we talked about this with mike though because it is like dense it's information dense it's nutrient dense when it comes to like the amount of twitter space you filled but the content is just really intense. Let me ask I, you, I loved it. Let me ask you. You guys are both baseball guys. I got a few minutes left. I, I want to just ask each of you. Let's 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 talk about the baseball. Which okay. chapter stood out? Which chapter did you learn uh, something about more than any other? Which chapter did you think um, we may have gotten wrong and you know put a baseball player instead of someone else, or vice versa? Any like high level feedback is very interesting to me as as the one who compiled all this research. So you you guys can go in whatever order you want, but like just give me like your one high level baseball takeaway before I let you go. Go ahead, Brick. My my first one is I and I talked to Mike about this. I uh, I was really sad not to see Lou Gehrig occupy Chapter Four, and I he explained why, and I understand, and it's not a bad take at all. However, I he's my man. I got like he occupies my wall. So my favorite player of all time. I was a little I was a little. I get it. I uh, Pride of the Yankees is my favorite sports movie um yeah the luckiest man speech is the stuff of legend he was totally. he's the only player to ever wear number four for the yankees he's the he was the first athlete to ever have his jersey retired i think there are a lot of really good reasons to include uh, lou garrett it just came down to our belief that bobby Orr is probably the second greatest hockey player that ever lived and if you're not gonna put bobby yeah. Orr in the book then there's gonna be so few hockey players that wind up in the book um <laughs> yeah not to mention babe ruth is three spoiler alert Derek jeter is two right and so yeah. and joe maggio is five so the yankees are right. well represented unfortunately yeah. lou garrett did not make the cut. And honestly, number four is obviously his number. 2130 is Lou Gehrig's number. So when, right. we, when we read the sequel and it has 3,000 chapters, I'll make sure to include it. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that's the other awesome. one for me that's was the one for me was 51. I never would have thought Dick, Dick Buckus because initially, as a Mariners fan, I went, went to Ichiro. Right. So that's interesting because as a Mariners fan, you could also go to Randy Johnson. Randy Johnson, right. A lot of his career. That's that's a really good. That, that's that, that's a that's a great point to make. Off the top of my head, I don't remember if Ichiro wore fifty one in Japan or not. Randy Johnson didn't wear fifty one for his entire career, so right, right. That, those were potential tiebreakers for us. I think Dick Butkus has a serviceable case to belong at number fifty one oh, for sure. Yeah. I do understand though, as a fan of Seattle, that is not a, a city that is well represented in the book, and so uh, if there was for a chapter reason. for which you could put a fifty one, he would it would most definitely have been one of those two guys. 
I think Randy Johnson is a greater player historically, but I'm not sure that he was a greater 51, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Last question before you let go yep. real quick. World Series pick. Who you got? So I've got Atlanta coming out of the National League. To me, that's the best team. I think they have the fewest holes. The lineup is stacked. I think the rotation will be plenty good enough, especially when Mike Soroka comes back. And they have the, one of the best general managers in the league who, if they have a hole at all, he will fill it at the deadline like he did two years ago when they won the championship. I'm sticking with my preseason pick of the Blue Jays to win the American League, despite the fact that Tampa looks unbelievable and the Yankees are going to be really good too. It's my belief, though, that the Blue Jays are going to be able to beat you any number of ways. That lineup is going to, I think, wind up leading the American League in runs. I think they're stacked, loaded top to bottom. They're a much better defensive team this year than they were in the past. And the addition of Mike Bassett, and uh, uh, excuse me, Chris Bassett in the offseason, I think will make that rotation really, really whole. And the bullpen's pretty good, too. I see, I see that team as being one that will ascend and by the end of the season be the best team that will come out of the American League. I got the Braves over the Blue Jays winning the championship this year. I think we're wide open in the American yeah. League. I really do. I don't think the Astros mm -hmm. have a stranglehold anymore. And the National League is loaded, too. You could see three teams coming out of the East. I could see the Dodgers and Padres coming out of the out of, out of the West. And so far, Milwaukee looks really, really good in the Central. So I don't right? think this is going to be a chalky <laughs> year at all. I, I'm we're going to have a stretch run for the ages. I guarantee it. Yeah, for sure. Love yeah. it. All right, Hembo, thank you so much for joining us. We know you got to go. We really appreciate it a bunch. Thanks, friends. Have a good one. Bye-bye, right, man. Talk to you later. Welcome back, baseball family. We hope you enjoyed that interview with Hembo as much as we did. We had a ton of fun talking to him, and we want to try to get him on again and see if we can pick his encyclopedic. Is that a word? Encyclopedic? Encyclopedic? remembrance of baseball things just forever because it was it was a ton of fun um while i got you here don't forget to stop by chinookseedery.com where you can order the best seats ever you will be supporting the show while also supporting your mouth we get do get a piece of every sale over there without you spending any extra money to support the show again that's chinookseedery.com and make sure you use code btpod at checkout to save 10 percent off your order if you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always head over to Patreon. We have five tiers of support, $1, $5, $10, $15, and $500. Go check them out and see what all has to offer, what each is unique. And uh, remember that everything, every one of those tiers, they do get one thing in common. They all have the bullpen cut, which is the unedited version of the show and all the mistakes that I have made today trying to get this ready for all of you. But baseball family, thank you so much for joining me today. We will catch you next week. Mm -hmm.